Hope you're really doing well in your walk with the Lord and where He's leading you. Uh, we are going to be back in John chapter 14 this morning, and so you may want to turn in your Bibles. I've got something I want to hand out to you that I'll explain later, but uh, first we'll have, a, we'll have a dodgeball tournament. Get ready. No, just kidding. I don't know where this stuff came from, but we'll have to deal with that later. No, it's maybe Randy's got some props this morning, you know? Who knows? Hope you had a good weekend. We went camping this weekend, or kind of, you know, camping is at different levels, you know? You can go to the real extreme and go backpacking and stuff like that, or, you know, some people's, and some, some people's definition of camping is the Holiday Inn, you know, and that's not me. I love camping. We did the in-between camping. You know, we camped out actually on some land near my mom's house, but we kind of sissy camped, you know? I mean, we ran an extension cord, and we had a heater inside the tent, and so we kind of cheated, you know, and well, I've got a four-year-old, so that's the reason, you know, trying to make it easy on him and me. So, but we had a good time. I took the boys camping a couple years ago, Sam and Josh, and they had, they really wanted to go, and it was this time of year when it's really, really not that, not that bad. It was got down to the low 40s, which is not bad. It's perfect for camping weather. But this was about three years ago, they really wanted to go camping. And so I said, okay, we'll go camping this weekend. And it was rain. I knew it was going to rain the whole weekend. I said, guys, we can't go camping this weekend. It's, it's, it'll be miserable. I said, I promise you we'll go next weekend. And then, of course, next weekend come, turn, you know, rolls around, and the low is going to be below freezing. And so I said, you guys want to go? Dad, you promised, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And so I cheated again on that trip. We took an electric blanket that trip instead of a heater. You know, four, run, four runs of it. You know, you can't actually hook four, like, 75-foot runs of extension cord together, and it will run without throwing a breaker. I assume it didn't throw a breaker at my mom's house, so. Uh, but anyway, that weekend, we had an electric blanket, and this was when Josh was, like, Josh was probably six or seven years old. I woke up in the middle of the night, and, I mean, it's, it's freezing inside that tent, and I look around for Josh, and I can't find him, and I'm patting his sleeping bag. I got got the light. I'm like, where is he? And then finally, I look at the bottom of his sleeping bag. There's this big lump, and he had rolled up into the fetal position down at the bottom of the sleeping bag to try to keep warm. So, but uh, fun time. We, David Zachary and his son uh, Landon went with us, and the next morning, Landon woke up and said, Dad, we made it. Nothing ate us. <laughs> he had never gone camping out in the middle of nowhere, and of course, when you're out in, out in the country, you hear all sorts of sounds all night, and and raccoons were probably surrounding us, and so, but a good time. So, hey, we're in John chapter 14 as we continue with our study. And, you know, we've been, we've been talking about, uh, and we will, we will be talking more about the differences in uh, what the Bible says about who God is and some of the other beliefs out there. There's a big contrast in what we believe as Christians and what the false religions of the world and what the cults would teach. There's a huge contrast if you are to look at our statement of faith at Christ Church and the statement of faith, say, like in the Mormon Church or in a, uh, a Kingdom Hall, Jehovah's Witnesses, and a huge contrast. And really, um, most, church, most Christian churches, and when I say Christian churches, I mean a church that really is Bible-believing, believes in the Word of God, believes in creation, believes in the authority of the Scriptures, believe that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and physical resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. 
belief in heaven and hell, all these things that would be essential to Christianity <clears throat> that the Bible teaches, that these things that we should get dogmatic about. What do I mean by dogmatic? What does that mean? Yeah, ready to defend, ready to stand up for. These things that we should say, you, you, you can't mess with that. You can't change that. You have to believe in these certain things to be a Christian. And those are the things, that's what to be dogmatic about, that we, we, we ought to get serious about those things. We shouldn't back off from those things. And, and hopefully, like if you get on the website for Christ Church, or if you have ever looked at the, we have a welcome brochure out in the foyer if you, that, that has got a booklet in there that gives you information about Christ Church, and in there it, it gives our statement of faith, or our doctrinal statement, or what we believe. And that if, you know, you may get a, a question from a visitor, what do y'all believe in here? You can go right over there to the counter where those nice little bags are and pull out one of those booklets and give that to someone. And, but all those beliefs in there are what we would say are absolutely essential to the Christian faith. But when you go and you compare our beliefs to that of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and, 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 and other beliefs, you'll find that they don't hold to those same beliefs. They would pervert or twist or change some of those beliefs that we would say are absolutely essential. And I'm going to give you a couple examples uh, this morning. I'll pass these out. And do we, uh, do we have all of our lights up? It seems a little, bit, a little bit dark maybe in here. Are they all flipped up back there, John? And uh, that helps a little bit. Thanks. And maybe even these right here, if you could throw those up, uh, that might give us a little bit more light, maybe. So thank you, John. John, thank you for, for being here every Sunday and what you do. Curtis, thank you for your help. Appreciate you guys. Uh, <clears throat> what this is, is this is a compilation on the front and the back. Now, warning, okay? <laughs> Big warning here. I don't really have this labeled, so be careful if somebody sees this and um, not to think that this is full of heresy. This is full of non-truths, but, and I think you'll see this. This is, these are exact quotations from uh, Mormon beliefs, Okay, so these aren't uh, my commentary on Mormon doctrine or theology. This is from the sources, okay? So I want to read you, a, you know, we'll read a couple of these. Um, what does the Mormon church believe regarding Jesus Christ? And this first quote that you see is from Brigham Young. Um, the man Joseph, the husband of Mary, did not that we know of have more than one wife, but Mary, the wife of Joseph, had another husband. That very babe that was cradled in the manger was begotten not by Joseph, the husband of Mary, but by uh, another being. Do you inquire by whom he was begotten by God, our Heavenly Father? Now, that doesn't sound so bad at first, but let's, let's continue reading because they do believe that God was once a man and, his, and, and that God today, Father, the Father, is really a, a man who's evolved into a God. So as you keep reading on the second quote, Christ not begotten of the Holy Ghost. Christ was begotten of God. He was not born without the aid of man, and that man was God. So then you get this twisted belief that the Mormon concept of God is that God is really a man. And you keep reading this next quote, an apostle of the Mormon church, Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. That's gross. How are mortal men begotten? through sex is what they're what they're preaching here and that that's what uh the father god 
uh, experience with Mary to produce Jesus. Now, you don't hear about this all the time, but this is what they teach when you get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's go down a little bit further and uh, look under salvation. And look at this first quote. This will blow you away. I want you to tell them, to t- I, want, I want you to tell them and tell all the great men of the earth that the Latter-day Saints are to be their Redeemer. Believe in God, believe in Jesus, and believe in Joseph, his prophet. Now, that would be, they would be referring to Joseph Smith. And Brigham, his successor, that's talking about Brigham Young. And I add, if you, so those two guys were right up there with Jesus and the Father. You've got to believe in all of them. We thought you were just supposed to believe in Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, they've added two, two men to that. Um, and I add, if you believe in your hearts and confess with your mouth Jesus is the Christ, that Joseph was a prophet, and that Brigham is his successor, you shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Is that anywhere in the Bible? Uh-uh. Do you see that's a perversion of the truth? You know, and what I mean, you know, the word perversion in the Bible, it comes from a Greek word, and it's talking about really what it is is the picture is, um, and if you've ever known someone who is an artist and has sculpted work before, and the picture is this. An artist has sculpted a statue out of clay, okay? It's, it's a statue out of clay, and it's beautiful, and then someone else comes along and takes that and twists it that wet clay, into another image to where it no longer holds the same image. It now looks like something completely different. That's, that's the word perversion. And so that's what we see a lot today is people taking the truth and perverting and twisting it into something else to where it no longer has the same definition anymore. And so the Mormon church, uh, Mormon theology uses some of the same lingo that we do. They use some of the same terms, Jesus, salvation, Becoming a Christian, the church, redemption. They use some of the same words we do, but the meanings behind them are completely different. It would be just like if someone came up to me and said, you know that guy Scott Brown, he's a jerk, he's a liar, he's a thief. I would say, you're talking, this must be some other Scott Brown. It's not the Scott Brown that I know because he's not like that. You're giving a different, that's a different identity. And, and that's what we're talking about here is a different identity that even though they use the same terminology, the meaning behind those words are completely different. Okay, let's read a little bit further. No man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. Whoa, that's pretty arrogant, isn't it? You know, I, you, know I, you could go on and on and on. We don't have to. Turn, your, turn the back of the page. We won't spend a lot of time with this. But I do think it, it's, it's important for us to keep in mind because a lot of times the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is promoted as another denomination within Christianity. It it is not. It it is not uh, another denomination. Look at the top of your page. Now, this is a quote from Joseph Smith. I am going to inquire after God, for I want you all to know Him and be familiar with Him. I will go back to the beginning before the world was to show you what kind of being God is. God was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I say if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in a form like yourselves and all the person, image, and very form of a man. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. Now think about that, how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity, haven't we? God is God from all eternity, all right? And he's saying, well, we've imagined that, but we're wrong. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. 
It is the first principle of the gospel to know for certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man with another. Well, that's true. But look at this next statement. And that he was once a man like us, yea, that God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on the earth the same as Jesus Christ did. Here then is eternal life to know that the only wise and true God, and you have got to learn how to be God's yourself. Whoa, he's added another perversion there. And uh, so, so basically, and look down a little bit further, as you see kind of in the middle of the, of the, of the left-hand column, as man is, God was. As God is, man may become. What's wrong with all that that we've seen so far? Could you find any error in what Joseph Smith had to say? Where did you find it? You're right. It's not true. The picture in Scripture is there's one God and you ain't him, right? <laughs> there's the creator and there's the creation. Very clearly, remember we talked a few weeks ago, there's a very clear division between God, the, between the creator and his creation. And you remember that passage in Isaiah that we read that uh, I even I am God and there was no creator before me, and there shall be none after me. You know, that there's only one God. There's always been one God from eternity past. Did he evolve from a man? No. He's always been God. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. God from all eternity has been God. But 2,000 years ago, God did something unique. God, the Son, did become a man, did he? He took on an additional human nature. Jesus has always been God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit has always been God and had the nature of God. But 2,000 years ago, God the Son said, I am going to take on a human nature. And the Bible says that Jesus was in all things human except for what? He never sinned. Did not have a sin nature. He had the nature of God. And so this is, this is one of those things to where this is not a, a, not a disagreement on non-essential things. This is a, a disagreement on essential things. Sometimes we as Christians can disagree on non-essential beliefs. Do you know what I'm talking about? What would be an example of that? What are some things that, that we as Christians could agree to disagree on? Okay. How much water is involved in, baptized, in being baptized? You know, should, can, can you sprinkle, dunk? Can you hose somebody down? Uh, how many gallons are in, I, I laugh about it. How many gallons are involved in, in baptism, you know? And some people are really, really fixated on sprinkling and really think that that fits a picture. Other people are on immersion. And uh, as long as we understand what baptism is and the meaning behind baptism, then is it okay for us to agree to disagree on the type of mode of baptism that we use? I really think it is. Particularly when you go to Israel and you see that John the Baptist baptized people in the Jordan, near the Jordan. And when you go by there and you see the Jordan River and you see in some spots it's only about that deep, when you go to immerse somebody, you better be careful. You'll be slamming the back of their head on rocks. And in a lot of cases in dry weather, you probably were doing this. It was kind of half immersion, half sprinkling, you know, to get the water over them. And so... Uh, I laugh with, sometimes with the kids when we're baptizing them. We'll get back here and we're about to go out there and to baptize the child. And I'll say, you sure you don't want to do baptism by cannonball this morning? You know, just do a cannonball. And I had one kid say, can I really do that? <laughs> I said, we better not. That may not be, that might be viewed as not being respectful. But oh, up in Arkansas? Yeah, yeah, I baptized Dave up in, uh, 
in, in Missouri at the New Tribes Missionary Training Center, and uh, there was a rope swing <laughs> right where we were doing the baptism, and Dave and I had some thoughts about doing it that style, but we did. The water was cold. Yeah. It's like, okay, Dave, baptize you. It was cold. But anyway, you know, we could, we could disagree on certain non-essential views. Baptism is important. We're not saying that baptism is not important and you can believe whatever you want to about baptism. No, not at all. But there are some elements of it that we could agree to disagree about. Here's another one. When is Jesus coming back? Ooh, boy, we'll, we'll have all sorts of views on that. But the point is, the essential thing is that Jesus is coming back. Amen? got to believe in that he, he is returning and he is going to reign that's the essential aspect of that but we can agree to disagree on the timing and when that's going to take place well we're not talking about that when, with regard to these things when you get into talking about who God is the nature of Jesus is that's sacred the Bible says that's very sacred and we've got to cling to what the scripture says this is a a perversion of the truth and so what do you do with it it's of no value whatsoever and it's of no value. The only value that, that these types of beliefs have is to deceive someone. And it's very dangerous. And so, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time with this, but I think it is important. Next week, I'm going to come in with uh, some issues with the Watchtower, the uh, Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. And we'll spend just a few minutes just discussing that. And so let's do this. Let's turn to John chapter 14 and let's get into our text. Anybody got any questions about what we, what we just talked about? I do encourage you, if, uh, if you bump into some Mormons, to, to pray about and to consider spending some time with them and helping them to understand the truth. One of the common things that you'll hear Christians say about Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, you will hear this phrase, they really know their Bible. They don't. They don't know their Bible. They know what the Bible says, but they don't know what it means. They don't know what it means, but they do know a whole lot about what it says. They have a lot of verses memorized but they don't know what it means at all. And we need to be careful not to make that mistake to think that they know their Bible well. And I really think that when you meet a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or anybody that does not know the truth, take the time to just communicate very gently and respectfully what the truth is. And uh, because those people, they don't, know what, they don't know the truth and they desperately need to hear a Christian to share the truth. What they're used to, to be honest with you, about 99% of the people that a Mormon Jehovah's Witness knock on the door, guess what they get? No response. You know, I've done it. I've been in the house, closed my shades, <laughs> turn the lights off, wait until they're gone. <laughs> I've done that before. And, and, and there were times where I did that where I don't feel bad about that because I wasn't equipped, I wasn't ready. And then my first experience was the guy wanted to have a conversation. I said, will you come back next week? And the answer is going to be, oh, yeah, they'll come back next week. And then you've got a week to get ready. And so pray about that because you may just get that knock on the door. Okay, we were in John chapter 14. And what were we talking about last week? What was the topic of last week? The Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Jesus is, uh, he is in this uh, area called the upper room. He and the disciples are sharing the Passover meal. Within a number of hours of this, he's going to travel to the Garden of Gethsemane and, that, and, and where he's going to be later betrayed and arrested. And then uh, and a number of hours later, he's going to be put on trial. Then his crucifixion follows. And then within three days, the resurrection. And so he is preparing them. He's preparing his men. 
these disciples, these apostles, to be ready. And uh, it's a, a, a beautiful picture of uh, explaining to them that they're not going to be alone. It really is a lot of what I get out of this. Because Jesus, you know, what were, the, what were these 12 men, really, if we push Judas aside because he be- betrayed our Lord, what were these 11 about to experience? What are some of the emotions that they were going to be going through? If you would have been there, and you would have been one of the 12, what's going through your mind when either the Roman soldiers or the Jewish soldiers show up at the Garden of Gethsemane and take him off? Scared? Fear? Ready to fight? Just like Peter, grab a sword, a dagger, and be ready to fight? What are some of the other emotions you might be thinking, feeling? All right, confusion? What's going on? This is, I thought he was the Lord, God, and I don't know why this is happening. And so I think a lot of the fears that, that Jesus knew these men were going to be facing was fear. Jesus is gone, and we can't do anything to change that. And he's communicating to them they're not going to be alone in a very beautiful setting. Uh, we talked about this. Uh, you're going to see this little word in repeated over and over again. Look at verse 10 of chapter 14. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What does that mean? Hmm? He's one and the same. There's this relationship. You know, we even talked about when, if we say that uh, Chris is in trouble, it doesn't mean that he's located in this bowl of something called trouble. It just means he's got a relationship with trouble. You know, or when we say I'm in too deep, it means, hey, I'm over my head. You know, I'm in over my head. And uh, so this is very much relational. Look at the middle of verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me. There's that relationship again. The Father abiding in me. Verse 11, believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, again, in my name, what what is that talking to? Relationship with the Lord. I have a relationship with the Lord. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And I think last week we talked about in some of your translations, there's a word comforter, uh, helper, I think uh, counselor. Is that the NIV? NIV has counselor. Anybody have a different word there besides helper, counselor, or comforter? Advocate, that's right. Is that the Holman? New English translation. Okay, all right. All those excellent translations from uh, the Greek. And uh, that he may be with you forever. Man, you ought to underline that word in your Bible. That he will be with you forever. You think about the security that Jesus was communicating to these people. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. Am I right? That To me, that communicates eternal security. The, the security that we have in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think that that, this whole issue of security is one of the most important things in relationships. There's so many times when, and I've probably, you may hear me repeat some things. uh, If if I ever repeat a story, just say, John, we've heard that one. That's number 20, okay? And because I probably do tell the same stories over and over again. That's one of the things that I really try to communicate, that Kim and I try to communicate to our kids, is that they know they're secure with us. Because there's times when you're raising kids, you know, you got to tell your kids some tough things. 
Man, I, I mean, there was a time last week where Kim and I had really had to have a heart-to-heart conversation with one of our kids about, uh, well, I just won't get into what it is, but, um, and, it, and he really took it hard. But he's got to know that mom and dad love him and, are, and that he is still my son and my child. I'm never going to let go of him in the midst of all that. And it's just like, how many times does God convict you of something in your life that he says, Horn, you've got to change. You've got to stop doing this. Or you need to start doing this. And, and it's very convicting, and it steps on our toes. It hurts our feelings. It bothers us. But at the same time, when we can hear God speak in our life, and yet we know, but I know God loves me, and he's not done with me, and he's not going to let go of me, because I read in John chapter 14 that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to be with me forever. That's so important to have both of those and to know that security. Let's keep reading a little bit further. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. You get that picture? How many times have we heard this word abide being repeated? Abide, abide, abide. And And you may have a different translation. If you have a different word there besides abide, what is it? Dwell? What do you have, Bonnie? What would you say? What do you have? Dwell. Dwell, abide in you, be with you. I mean, does that not sound cozy to abide? Your abode, where is your abode? We don't really talk that way anymore. Where is your abode? You know, anybody ever ask for a direction to your home and you say, well, my abode is at 11176 Arlington Trace Drive. They'll go, what? When, what, what century were you born in, you know? But we get the picture of dwelling. You know, it's almost as if God in, in this translation is saying, I'm going to make my home with you. I'm going to make my home with you. I mean, it's a beautiful, warm, relational perspective. We talk about feeling at home. When do you feel the most at home? You know, I'll give you an example. Last night, we put up our Christmas tree last night. And I, want, I really wanted to put our Christmas tree up the day after Halloween. Because I'm telling you, three weeks ago, I started listening to Christmas music. Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I am ready. I am so excited for Christmas. On my Pandora web music thing, if you ever do Pandora on the web, uh, if I've got my Christmas station ready to go, and I've been listening to it. So last night, we put our Christmas tree up. All the kids, we just had a blast. And it's like, I felt at home last night. Not just because I'm in my home. But we, most of the time we feel at home, not because of the structure that surrounds us, but because of what? Because of people, because it's a relationship. You know, I can be at my home all by myself and not feel at home if my kids and Kim are away. But when my family's there, it doesn't matter where we're located. And that's, that's the same thing with church. It's the same thing with church. Is church, is, church is defined as a group of people that's family. It's never defined as a structure. You look in the history of the church and where the church met always changed. It started out in the temple, then the temples were destroyed, so what? We'll meet in synagogues. Synagogues went away, and then they said, so what? We'll meet in caves, and they met in homes, and then started meeting in structures. It's always changed because it doesn't matter. The church is a group of people, and it's a relational thing. And we see this. I hope you see that. I hope you don't miss that in here that all this awesome stuff that we read and study about the Trinity, where God channels all of his, all of his coolness. <laughs> we can talk all day long about how cool and awesome God is, and God funnels that all and directs it all towards a relationship with us. And we say, yeah, God is everywhere. And God says, well, yeah, I'm everywhere, but where do I most want to be? With you. 
That's what's most important for me, is to be with you. We could say, man, God is, God is in the presence of uh, uh, some galaxy that's 10 parsecs away. And God would say, big deal. Y'all aren't there. could care less about that place. I want to be with, with you. That's, and do you not see that communicated here? God making his home with us. Let's keep reading a little bit further. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There's that fear. Why would God say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans? Probably because they might be worried that they would be, out, be without their parent. And you think about, you remember, you, you remember when you were a little kid, did you ever get lost? Anybody remember a situation where you got lost and you were terrified? I remember, I remember being, man, take you way back, Raleigh Springs Mall. Anybody ever go to the Raleigh Springs Mall? We, we grew up, uh, y'all know my mom, this is my mom over here, everybody embarrassed my mom, say hi Martha, and, and that's my sister, Mary Ellen, and Dave, my brother-in-law, but nobody in, in my family calls her Mary Ellen, I haven't called her Mary Ellen, I don't think I've ever called her Mary Ellen, her nickname's Tweet, okay, and so you can just call her Tweet, yeah, <laughs> yeah. she was Tweet before Twitter, yeah, she's the original Tweet, so when, when she tweets, she tweets all the time, you know. But anyway, when we grew up out between Brunswick and Bolton, so when we went into town, going into town was going into Raleigh. It wasn't going into Bartlett. It was going into Raleigh. And so Raleigh Springs Mall was where we just were at a lot of times. And I remember going in the Sears department store, and I remember one day wandering away from my mom and all of a sudden going, uh-oh, I'm lost. And I remember being terrified. And, and you think about what's about to happen to the church at this point. The, 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 these people that, are, that know who Jesus is, and they're about to go through between a Friday night and a Sunday morning for a small envelope of time, they're about to be terrified and confused and, uh, and not knowing what's going on and thinking the person that we thought was God is dead. He was brutally executed on a cross, and we watched that. And now on that third day, it was going to completely turn around again, but their emotions were on an all-time high at this Passover. And when Jesus is arrested, think about what happens. Those emotions plummet to an all-time low. And then on Resurrection Day, what happens? Boom, they spring back up. Forty days later, they've got to really get ready because Jesus ascends. And they got to really be ready because Jesus physically is not there anymore with them. His physical presence is not there anymore and they're depending on his spiritual presence. So, so God right here is preparing them for these feelings of aloneness. You know, we, we feel alone. You can be in a crowd of people and be alone and feel alone, can't you? You can be with the people you love the most and be surrounded and fit, not physically be alone, but you can emotionally feel alone, can't you? You can. But the, the reality is, is, is when we read the Scripture, are we ever alone as believers? Never. And that's a fear for us. That's a fear. And, and God is, is addressing that right here. I will not leave you as orphans. I, I hope you take that to heart. Sometimes, there's, not sometimes, always there's a reason why things are placed in the Scripture. And I'm convinced that right here when Jesus writes, I will not leave you as orphans, is because at times we feel that way. God, I promise you, God writes in His Scriptures and he makes statements to address our fears. It doesn't always say that. He's not going to say, hey, I want to let you know this because this is what you're fearing. You have to look for it. And this is one of those because we have a fear of being alone relationally. Look what he says, verse 19. After a little while, 
The world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall also live. In that day, verse 20, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's kind of an interesting way of wording it. What is he saying in verse 20? What's the gist of that? What's the gist of verse 20? Huh? All right. There is God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, who is God, but Jesus is saying, look, I'm just grabbing you, and boom, there's a relationship. Not necessarily that we're a part of the Trinity, but we have a tight relationship with God, and He wants us to be as close to Him as they are together. Beautiful picture. And, and later on, you can, you can, don't do it now, but later on you can go to chapter 17. Just three chapters over where all of a sudden Jesus is no longer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Excuse me, He's no longer in the upper room. He has taken His disciples, and they've gone about a half a mile into this beautiful garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying. He's asked the disciples to pray, but what are they doing? They're sleeping. They couldn't do it. And Jesus' prayer is, Father, make them one as we are one. Make them one. Make the church unified. As the Trinity is inseparable and relationally tight, make them one as we are. You know, it's this awesome prayer all about unity. And, and that's what it's saying right here is in verse 20, in verse 20 is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, and God wants us to be tight with Him. It's a beautiful picture of a relationship. Let's look at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now, interesting. Earlier, Jesus has said that he's going to send who to come be with the disciples? The Holy Spirit. In this verse, who does it say is going to come? We. Let's read it again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. There's that word abode or dwelling or live with him in security and have a, having a secure relationship. You know, a lot of times we think about a lot of the phrases that we use as Christians, and they're, and they're not wrong. Having a relationship with Jesus, asking Jesus into your life, asking Jesus into your heart, uh, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with those things. We talk about the Holy Spirit entering your life. At the moment of salvation, who is it really, based on these verses, who is it that come, comes to dwell in our life? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all of them. You know? There's nothing wrong with saying the Holy Spirit came into my life. There's nothing wrong with that. That's true. But not to the exclusion of the Father and the Son. Because as we, as we look here, you never separate the three of them. They're always together. It's a beautiful picture of a relationship. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. There's that word again. Verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. You ever have a moment like that where God brings to your attention something that you forgot? something in Scripture. That ever happened to you? Maybe it's a verse of Scripture that you memorize, and maybe, maybe you memorized it a couple of months ago, or maybe something that you read, and you're thinking, you know, 
I don't know necessarily why I need this now, but maybe later on. And then a couple months go by, and God reminds you of that. And it, and it kind of clicks in your mind. You're thinking, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think, well, you know, I came up with this wonderful idea for the church and, or had this wonderful concept that we could use in our ministry. Give me a break. All those things come from the Holy Spirit. You look in this, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us. It's the Holy Spirit in this verse that says, will remind us or bring to our remembrance all of these things. That's why it's so important, I think, to get into habit whenever you study God's Word is, is, is to pray first. Because my approach to Scripture, I'll be honest with you, is I'm dumb. I'm ignorant. That, that's, that's my approach. If I say, well, hey, I'm a pastor or I've, I've done these studies and so I've risen to the level of this in my study, that's arrogance. That is arrogance. The Bible says that without the Holy Spirit in our life, we can understand nothing. You know, Scripture says that the natural man, you know, there's a verse of Scripture where Paul talks about the natural man can understand nothing. Only the spiritual man can understand things. So my approach to Scripture is when I come to the Bible, I need to pray, say, God, will you open up my mind, open up my heart to understand what you have to say and teach me something. And I think when we humbly come before God, he'll teach us and he'll, he'll teach us something new. And we've seen that in the Holy, in the Holy Spirit's role that one of his role is, roles is to teach us what we need to understand and to help us understand that. Let's read a little bit further. We've got just a few more minutes. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. There's that word fearful, troubled, and uh, not only that, peace. Man, you think about all three of those things. We struggle with all of them. Having peace in life. Peace is the absence of war. It's the absence of struggling. And man, we struggle with a lot of things in our Christian life when God wants us to have peace because we are able to give all these things over to Him, trust Him for everything, and sometimes, I, you know, I don't know, maybe even right now you're struggling with something. And there's times where you just got to let go and say, God, it's not that I'm not concerned about this issue. I'm not going to stop praying about it, but I need to stop struggling and just trust you for this. And so here you go, God, I'm giving it to you. And I'm not, I'm going to be at peace with the situation. So many times where we have to ask God to do that. So next week we will finish this and we'll move on with our study. When you get a little time this week, read chapter 15. You're going to see this word abiding repeated over and over again, and we'll touch on it a little bit next week. Does God ever leave you? Are you ever alone? But we feel that way sometimes, right? Our emotions can deceive us, but God is always right here with us, tight, following us, sustaining us, holding us up. Remember that picture of the, the Holy Spirit? the one who comes alongside us. You remember that picture of what God wants to do to help us, help us go where, we, where he wants us to go. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We thank you that, uh, Lord, we need to hear all these things. We're, Lord, we're desperate for a word from you. Lord, we, we, we have a lot of fear, God. We're afraid of a lot of things. Uh, we're not very peaceful people. We're very anxious. We're stressed out at times. We let our emotions get the best of us. And Lord, how awesome it is to be able to rest in your words and what you have to say to us to remind us of who we are in Jesus Christ. And that God, that it's your desire to make your dwelling with us and that that's when you're at most at home is with us, just like a daddy, just like a papa, a father. And so Lord, we thank you for that, God. Thank you for how much you love us. And uh, Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to cling to these words when... 
I mean, just all the time, but especially at the times when we need it the most. And God, thank you for this time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.